man, how lucky are we? It's your boy Gabe Patillo with Married to the Games. You know, I got to talk to Troy Baker and I was praying that I would get like 20 minutes with him. Maybe 30 minutes if I'm super lucky. Almost an hour and a half later, y'all. Oh, this was a talk we had. You know Troy from Bioshock Infinite, The Last of Us, uh, Uncharted 4, almost every character in Batman. What you might not know is that he's got a music side and he's a brand new dad. Here's my talk with Troy Baker. I've been digging my heels in, digging my heels in, digging my heels in this common ground. And I'm planting my flag, planting my flag. Next to yours on this common ground Yeah, I'm rocking that RE20, okay, with a distressor on the chain <laughs> You got it all put together, think, baby, you don't mess, mess around, around nah, man, you spared no expense um, <laughs> So, you, have you got, like, the diaper genies and, like, the whole thing going? Here's, here's the thing, and this is, this is what I've learned, and I know very, very little as every day progresses, I realize the ineptitude and the um, whatever the opposite of expanse <laughs> is of my knowledge. Oh, brother. But here's here's the one thing that I do know, and I hold this to be true. Okay. If it has a barcode. Yes. It is for the parents. That's right. Because there ain't nothing that baby needs. Dude. But really... The mama. That's it. Isn't it crazy? It is insane. Like, l- l- let me break this down for you. So this is this is what happened. So Tuesday of la- uh, two weeks ago. Good God! Wait, what's today? Today this is this is my this is my life right I now. Did you trust I literally me? don't know what day it is. <laughs> All right, May seventeenth. Yes. So on Tuesday, May first. Okay. So his original due date was April 29th. Okay. I I went in to. Uh, I, I've been waiting to crack this bubble for the longest time, but I'm finally, um, I'm doing a couple episodes like Family Guy and American Dad. And so I'd, I'd come in to do some pickups for them. And I was talking to the director. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, man, I think we're like, things are happening. Like, like yes. stuff's starting to happen right now. And he goes, so the last thing you're, I'm, I'm the last thing you're going to do before you're a father. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, dude. He goes, that's kind of cool or really sad. Get out of here. <laughs> and so... That was on that was on Tuesday the first, and like my wife had had already started feeling some some things happening. Oh yeah, and and then we did the stupidest thing. We like we ran errands. There was stuff that we had to do. Yeah, of so course, we just we just ran errands and and, and all this stupid stuff. And then at nine o'clock, I'm like, oh, we need we need to eat. And then like hardcore, she'd been having like some contractions, but like sure. hardcore every three to four minutes. Her oh. contractions started like ten o'clock at night. Yes. So from ten, it's o'clock always at, at night, night, brother. Do you know any friend is. that is like, yeah? And then right after breakfast, my contractions started getting really intense, and so we went around lunchtime. Never. It's no. always in the middle of the night. Our midwife, she explained it as well. There's there's something that actually happens at night, um, like with the barometric like pressure or something crazy. Yeah, it's it, there's some kind of like it's a hormonal thing that actually happens where your body goes, here you go. Um, <laughs> The most convenient time ever. Was it a full moon? Just passed. April 30th was the full moon. See? So they say that does it too. 
it pulled him down and then we had to work the rest of the way. That's right. So it, it's, I don't it's know about we, but I, I see what you're saying. No, I didn't do nothing. I was, I was support. You <laughs> Cheerleading. Know what I mean? Cheerleading. Yeah. Um, so at midnight we, man, it, it gets real and I'm watching my wife in, in pain and, you know, we as husbands, our our whole purpose in life is to keep them from pain. It's, That's it's right. To not shelter them, um, but but just try to deflect as much as we can. Mm. And she is. I'm watching her run face first into this storm, and mm. then forty hours later. Oh, Troy! Forty hours later. You're and kidding. The baby traveler was posterior, which means. That ain't the right way. He's right. supposed to be anterior, which means he was facing, you know, look at back was to the left. And he's facing mm-hmm. right and his head was down. So he's posterior, which means she had 40 hours of back labor. Now, what that means, and I mm. found this out, is that normally you get contraction for 60 seconds rest. Okay. Contraction, 60 seconds rest. She had no rest. Oh. So my wife for 40 hours and really even longer than that because she hadn't slept until the morning of Tuesday, she hadn't eaten since lunch on Tuesday. So for probably closer to like 60 hours, no food, no sleep, what no a, relief. What no a beast. Epidural. Yeah, dude, beast, beast. She went beast mode on it. And I met a different version of my wife. <laughs> and it, <clears throat> it's crazy. And I, I, I tweeted this out, which sounds so stupid and, and trivial in such a weird way to like, you know, um, summate the whole experience. But I said, there is no greater power on earth than a woman in labor. I agree with you. And a friend of ours shared this with me. She said, um, the human body can handle up to 40 dells. That's a unit of pain, 40 dells of pain. Okay. At the time of birth, a mother is experiencing 57. No way. Which is the equivalent of 20 bones being broken at the same time. <laughs> now, that's rowdy. There are all sorts of accoutrement that that are at at your disposal. Yes, you can. We we did this in our home, bro. So we yeah. were in. We were walking around our neighborhood. My wife walked two and a half miles uh, while she was in labor. She walked around our neighborhood. Um, we got to see our neighbors, and they were cheering us on. And we came in. I watched the sun rise twice on her as she was in labor and we were in a tub in our room right and she gave birth to our son on our bed and it was just this most beautiful thing we were surrounded by people cigarus the band cigarus was playing yes as as he was born and it was like this totally ethereal spiritual thing it was amazing that's so cool that they came to the room with you guys yeah man we had (laughs) you had him right there in the bedroom (laughs) this was our this was our birthing team bliss who is our midwife, mm-hmm. Hayes, who is our doula, um, and a shaman, and no way. Julie. And Julie? <laughs> Julie? Who felt left out. Yeah, guess guess who's the whitest of them all? <laughs> uh, but each of them had their part to play in this, this little, you know, three-act play that we had. And there was, we call it the dark hours. It was between 12 uh, a.m. and 4 a.m. on Thursday morning when Pam is just about to tap out. She just, she, yeah. she's in such pain and, and we don't know what to do. And she's stalling and there's all these things. And then Hayes goes in there and like, I, I wish I'm going to have to send you a picture of Hayes so you can see her. Her name is Hayes Hawk. Sure. She is, uh, she's just this beautiful black woman mm-hmm. who is trained in Africa. Um, she's just, 
she's exactly what Pam wanted. She was like, I need someone I can, I can connect with on such a deep, deep, deep level. Sure. Um, that isn't just going to be a coach. And there's this beautiful picture. We had a, uh, my wife's uh, business partner, Loretta, was there shooting the whole thing. So we have this beautiful picture of Pam on her side and Hayes's hands are massaging Pam and I'm massaging Pam and our hands are just kind of overlapping. There's just all these hands that are on Pam supporting her through this. But she grabs her at 12 o'clock in the morning and she says, listen, mama, we need to make a change. And mm. she walked her through. She's like, you're sending all of this energy when you scream or when you, when you grunt out, you're sending all this sure. energy up. I need you to send it down to oh, your baby. Yeah. Dude, it was just. That's deep. Yeah, it was this amazing, amazing process, man. And I've I've learned I've learned so much um, every day. I, I keep saying that he's. We turn a page, a new page every day to see the story that he's writing. That's right. And he's just kind of taking it along. I don't know how. I am sleep, bro. <laughs> Dude, sleep, it's secondary, baby. We are right now. We're gearing up to to finally go out on the road and do some kind of weekend warrior um, fly dates with with uh, this music project that I have. Yeah, and I literally, I was, I was kind of, I run through the set every day just to kind of keep fresh. <laughs> I almost fell asleep playing the set. <laughs> yeah, like song six in, head eyes are closed. Yes, I'm still playing. I'm still singing, but I'm not really. You're not there. there. You're not there. Yeah, no, of course That's, not. That's where I'm at. Um, That's amazing. How are you, Gabe? No, no, not how am I. Yeah, right. (laughs) Don't you feel like, I feel like when when I got married and when I had my first child, our daughter Amara, I feel like every stupid, cliche line that has ever been given to me my whole life made perfect sense. And then couldn't even begin to scratch the surface. I mean, when, when like, I think of the miracle, when they call it the miracle of childbirth. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly that. And you're like, <laughs> I've heard this since I was a baby and it always sounds so stupid and just something people say. And then when you see your child from the first time and when you see your wife, like you're saying, going through what they have to go through to deliver a baby, you're like, we've been doing this always. Yeah. You know? And th- man, talk about the level of trust. And the the vulnerability and this just the submission and surrender to this process of going, you were made for this. Made you for were it. Made for this. Woo! You need to trust that your body knows exactly what to do. And everything this, this this whole notion of that's not real. That's not that fear that you have, that concern that you have, that's not real. And there were two days. Uh, he was born on May, two of six PM, May third. And until Saturday night, May 5th, man, we were, we were in a weird place. Um, and again, we had this amazing birth team that came through and we had two chiropractors yeah. that came through to just kind of give, offer some relief. We had, uh, one that actually gave an adjustment to traveler and, and because his head was turned to the left a little bit. Sure. And our, we started noticing this look on our midwife's face on Bliss's face and, and she's, she's concerned um, which I never want to see her. That's the last she's, thing you want to see. Yeah, man. Her face, she's like, she's calm as a Hindu cow, man. She's just chill. Chilling. And, and she kind of pulls me to the side and his heart rate is around 101. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be about 120 on the low, 140 is good. And so she's like, I'm, I'm a little concerned and he's a little blue in his face. Sure. 
And that's typically immediate. You go to the ER. And mm-hmm. if we had gone to the NICU, then that's like everything that we had worked it ruins to not it. have. Right? Yeah, yeah it you ruins got it. tubes going in and out and antibiotics and all this stuff. And it's like, that's right. We didn't want to do that. We wanted this to have the way that, that nature had intended for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a pediatrician come through, and and uh, the the long or the short version of that is the next day I promptly called him and and fired him and told him how he would never ever <laughs> lay a hand on my oh, son again. Snap. And then this, have you ever seen Field of Dreams? Yeah, of course. You remember Burt Lancaster in that? He played Moonlight Graham, Archibald Graham, a baseball player that ended up becoming uh, a pediatrician. I don't remember that specifically. Man, Go back and watch the movie because I remember like if if that's that's who I want. I want Moonlight Graham to be <laughs> our pediatrician. And brother, we found him, and his name is Jay Gordon. And he walked. He left dinner with his wife on Saturday mm-hmm. from from Santa Monica. We're in the valley. Drives you know thirty forty five minutes into the valley. Walks into the house straight back to our room, and he lets out this sigh as soon as he sees him, and he goes, "Oh, thank God." Oh, he wasn't because worried. He was, he was worried. And as soon as he saw him, he was like, I love it. And oh, he had, my gosh. Traveler had this squeak when he cried. So as he inhaled, he would squeak. And he goes, I love the squeak. Really? And he was like, I, I love his color. And Traveler instantly changed him. He picked him up. And he spent, our other pediatrician was there for, if he was there for 15 minutes, I'd be surprised. Mm. Dr. Gordon, Dr. J was there for like an hour and a half. Doing his thing through everything. We just saw him again today, and he's just he calls him by his name. He's like, and here's the thing, man. We're we're we didn't want to have a baby. We wanted to offer the world a human. Sure, we're raising the human, you know. So, which is super weird that we named our son Traveler because it's like, give call him like Philip, you know, give him <laughs> nah, a good name. Yeah, you, <laughs> hey, set him up. You, you're talking to the guy surrounded by musicians, man. I, I've heard. Uh, all kind of names. Like oh yeah, the, the the craziest thing, and but it's like either you better be a musician, you want to be an actor, you better be an artist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, there's no account. What's your accountant name? A traveler. His name's Traveler. Oh, Don't man. we won't focus on that. So here's here's the deal. Uh, my wife and I, and we bounced around. We were set for girls' names. We had it on lock. We were really? good. We had we had nailed it down for um we we had a really cool for Christmas. My wife and I um go somewhere really really cool, and so. We had this bucket list thing to do before we had kids. We wanted to, the two things we wanted to do, um, we did those on two separate trips. One bucket list thing for me, I I really wanted to uh, go to Midnight Mass Christmas Eve at Notre Dame. Oh my gosh. Deep history at at Notre Dame in Paris. Sure. And um, I, we got to do it. And, And if you have in, if you are of the mind at all to experience that, it is one of the most beautiful, timeless things uh, you could do, r- regardless of whatever your belief system sure, is. Sure, sure. a beautiful thing to experience. And it probably hasn't changed in hundreds of years. No, and that's the beautiful thing. My wife is, because we were literally sitting on the floor, and she goes, I'm so sorry that we're sitting on the floor. It's like, what do you think they were doing a thousand years ago? <laughs> exactly. A thousand years ago is when that thing was built. Oh, my gosh. And, and the, one of the things I love about Notre Dame is is you stand out and you look at this beautiful edifice. This just, I mean, a perfect example of Gothic structure, mm-hmm. and in the middle of this city that has just shed its skin so many times and has seen wars and famine and disease and pestilence and That's tyrants right. and and all of this stuff. And, and this beautiful, beautiful uh, people who say they don't like 
Parisians have never met a good one or they haven't spent any time. <laughs> Parisians are amazing people. They yes. just don't, they don't put up with any BS, man. They just, yeah. they, they like, are you real? Are you here to have fun? Because mm-hmm. we love our wine and we love our people. And it's that, that's what they're there about. So we're, we're sitting there and, and the thing that I love about Notre Dame is, and, and really any cathedral is that the hands that set to work on that, the, the hands that laid the first stone did so knowing that they would never see this completed. Oof, sure. And that it wasn't their generation, nor would it be their sons, nor their grandsons, but probably their great-grandsons would be the ones that walked through that door right? long after they were gone. And for me, that's the mentality that I have in everything that when I set my hands to work and when I lay that first pavestone, whether it be professionally or for my son, it's got to be a cathedral mentality yeah. because I know that I will not benefit from this personally. Right. That's I right. I will be long gone. And that's what I hope is that I build something that can last so that some stupid kid from Texas has a dream of spending midnight mass Christmas Eve <laughs> inside Notre Dame and being happy about being sat on the floor. I know that's you right. Know, that, that to me is, is what is, is so beautiful about that. But anyway, Golly. so we have, we have girls' names knocked out, and we're sitting there. We're in uh, Bern, Switzerland, which is where Albert Einstein like, camped out for a lot of his life mm-hmm. um, because we wanted to ski uh, uh, the Matterhorn. We wanted to ski Zermatt on, on Christmas Day, and we got to do that. That's a really cool way to spend Christmas. I was about to say, that's like the best Christmas ever. Forget the presents. Dude, my my wife and I, we go hard for the holidays. We don't, <laughs> we don't mess around. And yeah. our son. So we're sitting there and we're like, we have, we have girls' name picked out. And we're looking and we're like, dude, if we have a boy, we are hosed. Like we have yes. nothing. We, we have were the nothing. same way. We were the same exact way. So we're sitting there and, and you know, now we're pregnant. Uh, and we're sitting in our, um, we're standing in our kitchen. And my, my wife and I like, Every so this night. all happened right after I saw you. So we had just because I saw you at the beginning of December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had just uh, I had we had just found out that we were pregnant. So we were like just in the safety zone. So when I told you and 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 Toby, I was like, "Yo, dude, I'm about to be a dad." Yeah, like that was that was one of the first times those those words had flown out of my lips. Yeah, like, I had told Kevin, uh, my buddy Kevin Max, literally hours before that, and mm. he was one. He's like the fourth person that I had told. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, it was really new. So we're sitting there. Um, every, every night, like my wife and I, uh, we go on a date every night in our kitchen and we cook dinner together and we, we play like Billy holiday. Oh, um, Lord. yeah, we, it, and like, it's cool. Cause like this, we have this crafted, this Pandora channel where it goes from like Billy holiday and to Nina Simone and to Edith Pilaf. And then just, it just, just from my, that's great eating food. In. Heck yeah, dude. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And we're, Could you imagine that people ate while they were actually in the room singing? That's what's dude, really that's no, what's really no. nuts. That just heart that hurts my heart to think about that. Just like someone's in there making you know pasta or whatever, and like <laughs> Nina's just over there opening up a bottle of wine, a <laughs> fifth bottle of wine. Miles Davis is back there, all the, the freaking hordes. I'm gonna, going, pick, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. pick up my, my trumpet real quick and just go crazy. <laughs> but like that's and it's it's that time of year right now in in LA where that this this the sky hits this 
cool, dusty blue and pink hue and, and the weather is perfect and the, the air just lightens up and it's just, it's just perfect. And our, all of our windows and our, um, like our, our patio doors are open into our backyard and this music is spilling out and the kitchen is being filled with the aromas of rosemary and garlic and everything as I'm cooking. And we're, we're trying to think of some names and I've been reading like Ralph Waldo Emerson a lot. And so I was thinking maybe Emerson I was like, there's not really that much of a connection. And I just, mm-hmm. what do we do with that? And then I, we, we both wanted the name to be something that was, uh, it wasn't a name. It was, a, it was a word. It was something that we were claiming to be his name. Sure. And we're sitting there like, and Pam even said it, she was like, it's like, like traveler. And we both looked at each other and we kind of went, I mean, we, we can't name our son traveler, right? <laughs> yeah. You shot and, it down as you're falling in love with it. Well, yeah, because we, Traveler Baker, we didn't want it to end on an R. We knew that we didn't want to do that. All right. We did the same thing. We were like, really? yeah, with our third baby, which we didn't know it was going to be. And we say a lot of the same what you went through, like really want to find a meaning. Now it is a name, but like just something for our family and kind of the old school way that people used to name their children. You know, people used to name their kids for what they wanted for the child or what they needed for the family. You know what I'm saying? So we kind of went back to Bible times on that, you know, you know, how they would name their child. He laughs, you know, and things like that. And so we were looking for a, a name that meant peace. And same thing with us. We were like, we fell in love with Milo, but we were like, Milo Patillo. We're like, we can't do that to our child, right? <laughs> yeah, just forever. And lo and behold, and lo and you behold. Did. Exactly. So you guys are wrestling with Traveler, Traveler we Baker. Had, we had the middle name um, because three, four, I guess four years ago now, we, we, Hyde Park in London is, is a really uh, important place for us. We, we spend a lot of time in London. I love that city. And, mm-hmm. and it's I, awesome. I will never um, go without, have you, have you been to Hyde Park? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if I've been to Hyde Park, but we've definitely, because you know us, we we get to go in and come out so fast. And five, so we try to make for five minutes. Right. right. Yeah, and yeah. so we try to make the most out of our day. So we go and do a bunch of stuff. So, you know, we're running to Chinatown, Piccadilly Circus, and, you know, we're trying sure. to like do everything, you know. Look, kids, Big Ben. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, kids, Parliament. So <laughs> right. next next time you find yourself in London, man, it's smack dab in the middle of, of, of central London. Mm. And it is... Um, it's what Central Park was patterned after. And it's, it's just, it's this huge, huge, huge park. It's like a little city in the midst of, of this beautiful respite. And there's a river that flows through it. And there's, um, mm. there's a lake that's there. And, and I've, uh, the, I run, I've run through Hyde Park. I've seen it in every season. Um, I just, I love that place. Sure. And my, my, one of my favorite memories, um, not only of there, but also with my wife is, I was uh, I was in London doing a, a press junket for for some game that had just come out. I think it was there for either Infamous or or Arkham Origins. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife at the same time was in South Africa, uh, in Zambia, and Swaziland as the photographer for this mission group. So she's documenting the building of these schools, and they were working with the kids that were there and like bringing in clean water. Um, just gnarly, and it's you know summer. what we have. I'm looking it up. We have been there because we played the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, dude. So which Royal is, Albert which Hall is right there. Is is right there on the south side of the park, right by Queen's Gate, 
Um, and then like, you know, uh, Mayfair and, and all of the, the, uh, that's the most highfalutin part of, of London. So yeah, of course you played Royal Albert Hall. I remember that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that little spot right there, dude, is you're right. If you come in from Royal Albert Hall, um, you go right through like the Queens garden and, and like, there's a, uh, Princess Diana, like a Memorial Rose Garden that's right there. It's just absolutely beautiful. That's one of the most beautiful sides of the park. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the part that faces World Oh Hall. my gosh, yes. I remember it being gorgeous and yeah. and being too uneducated to really understand what I was experiencing. And you just wander through. Just That's how, that's how you get educated. Right. You just yeah. look and go, this is pretty. <laughs> yeah, and, talk to, the, and talk to the cab drivers. The cab driver <laughs> picked us up. He was like, what are you guys doing? We're like, this. You want to go with this side right here? Don't go to that side right there. That's where the dodgy people hang out. This is where you go. All right, so right. Off you go. I go, we're, uh, we're playing a place called Royal Albert Hall. He's like, the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. And, you know, he went on to explain. He was like, that's like if I came to America, was like, oh, I'm just playing some place called Madison Square Garden. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay, well. It's, can you drop me off at Carnegie Hall and play <laughs> gig there tonight? Exactly, yeah. Um, so so it's it's my wife's in South Africa. I'm in London. It's in the middle of summer, so it's beautiful in London. And it's just the worst time of year to be in South Africa because it's, it's freezing cold and my mm-hmm. wife is literally sleeping on the floor. Um, she gets a horrible flu cause she gets so sick mm. and we were just no communication for, for a solid, you know, the entire time she's there is three the weeks That's that we were worst. apart. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, we would get a text like every three days or something. Ugh. And so I'm hearing this, this broken heart of, of just the, the depravity of, of, of humanity that she's experiencing. Um, and while she's lying her head down on, on literally dirt, I'm, I'm, you know, in a feather bed and a, and a pillow in a five-star hotel. <laughs> right. The opposite. <clears throat> and so I decide that I'm going to rescue my wife and, and she's actually connecting from Johannesburg back to London and then Dallas and then back to LA. So I'm going to head her off at the pass. I'm going to meet her at Heathrow. Mm-hmm. And so, but I have to tell her that I'm doing this. Otherwise she would just connect through and never make it through. Right. So I get her, get her first class ticket. She's flying with me. She's going to spend a couple of days in London with me. And then we're going to fly back home in style. And I said, babe, I, I got you. And I get, and I told her everything the whole, all my illustrious plans. And she replies back to me and she says, babe, I started this trip with these people. I have to finish Ooh. it with these people. And I was like, that's my wife right oh, there. That's why I married so you, girl. I said, is there any way we can meet? And so we met at Heathrow. And we took the Heathrow Express in. And I hadn't seen my wife in three weeks. And, and it literally was one of those movie moments where we just run to each other across <laughs> yeah, the terminal. I know that's right, yeah. And I pick her up. And she's dirty. And she smells. And <laughs> she's crying. Mm. And I just literally pick her up. I was like, let's go. And we, we get in the train. And. Heathrow Express drops you right off into Paddington Station, and and I said let's uh, let's just go to the park. So we get in a cab. Cab takes us to a park, and it's like five o'clock in the morning. Mm. Sun is just barely starting to come up, and it starts lightly raining. Oh Lord! Yeah, but not enough to like ruin it. Yeah, it was just like ah, oh, like refreshing, and it's mm-hmm. it's literally I'm watching as as the rain is kind of like washing off the dirt on her face. And she's looking around as, as people start, you know, milling about their day. It's like a Tuesday. It's nothing big. And so people are going to work and they're stopping off at the coffee shop or the Pret and they're getting their sandwiches and their coffee or their tea or whatnot. And, and people are starting to mill about. And, 
she has just been in a place where she used to look at a 12-year-old girl and say, I don't know why your father and your uncle rape you. I don't, right. I don't have an answer for that. Mm. And she's looking around at everybody like, alarm bells are going off for her saying how can you go about your day yes. to not culture shock to yeah of course and so i just watch as my wife process these these two juxtaposed worlds mm. and um i wrote i wrote this song uh, called hyde park for her take a walk around the park and clear our head of all these troubles Kisses in the rain Speaking volumes without a And that moment was like, I want my son, the two things that I want my son to experience um, in this world, um, number one is that we are part of a much bigger culture and to never be bound by the culture of which you were brought right. into originally. That's right. You need, you need to expand your mind. You, do, you need to meet other people. You need to have your beliefs challenged. You need to travel. You need to see this world. Mm -hmm. And I want him to experience the kind of love that I felt and, and we shared in Hyde Park. So that's, that's what his name is That is about. incredible. That's incredible. And I'm so, I mean, you're a new dad. How amazing. I mean, you have all this buildup, you know, the, the woman gets to feel the buildup for nine months, right? We get to kind of be a part of it when it kicks and when it moves and when it makes her stomach feel like she's on a roller coaster. But like when you get to hold him now and see yeah. him and kiss him and change his diaper, it's like, I never thought I would love to change a diaper. Oh, dude, all the dads that are like, Psh, I never changed a diaper, man. It's a woman's job. I'm like, no, bro. What? I'm going to be the fastest chi you know, diaper changer <laughs> in the West. The I'm going to be like, I'm going to be able to do this stuff in my sleep, bro. Yes. Um, I take pride in that. And it's right now is really challenging for me because um, you were breastfeeding and my wife says it's like the reward that I get for all the hard That's work. You dog um, all right, that connection. Yeah. And I don't have that. No. And, and, and so it's teaching me patience and it's mm -hmm. teaching me to not make him be something that serves me because my life Oof. is to serve him. Mm -hmm. So right now he looks at me like, I don't know what you are. You're a weird shape. <laughs> yeah. All, and, and when I do get any kind of response, I'm the one who takes him from mommy, puts him on the changing table and changes his diaper. So he's just kind of like, ah, oh, dude, I hate, I hate <laughs> yeah. this whole process. Every, every time you touch me, I get cold. Right, exactly. And so that's his association with me. But the second that he goes back to mom, ah, uh, give me the milk. <laughs> so yes, yes. It's, it's teaching me like, but I know, I know, and I, I have this faith and that that day is going to come and it may come three months from now, seven months from now. I don't know when it is, but there will be that moment where I'm like, you're my, today you're my son. Yes. This moment, you're my son. <laughs> It's funny that you say that my wife, my youngest, Milo, is a year and a half and he's going through this, he can't get enough of daddy thing right now. Yeah. And my wife said to me just two days ago, she said, welcome to breastfeeding. This is what wow. breastfeeding feels like. Because he wow. just, does, he looks at her and wants to be with me and he's running to me every time I walk in the house and, and it, it's coming, brother. And it's beautiful. Man, that's so encouraging to hear too. It's mm -hmm. it's great because this has been stripping down 
man, life, I think we may have talked about this a little bit when I was there. Um, it's amazing how life will naturally do this culling. Hmm. And there was, there was a harsh culling that we went through about a year and a half ago of, of people. And like there was pain that was associated with it. And, and I, I didn't understand it and I, I, I fought against it and I, I allowed that pain to really take root in me. And now I realize what was happening was that life was going, dude, you have no room in your house. Woo! No room. And I've got, because this kid is going to come in and he's going to take up every square inch of it. That's right. And I still feel like we don't have enough room. Yeah. And <laughs> well, ain't no room our, for foolishness. No. When them babies and, get here, you start recognizing and weeding out the foolishness quick. And just, just space. Like there's, there's, like for 40 hours, it was a, it was a real good litmus, litmus test as to who our people were in our life. Because mm-hmm. there were people going, hello, we haven't heard anything. What's going on? <laughs> oh, and then, man. Uh, other people going. This ain't for y'all? Yeah. Because the, I mean, all, my stupid, I, I, I went, here we go. I had, a, I had a code word of when we were going into labor. It was Paddington. Mm-hmm. So people were waiting for Paddington. I was on set. Um, a few weeks ago and, and one of the PAs had my phone and I said, dude, if you see Paddington come across that screen, let me know. Cause I'm that's out. a wrap on Troy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and it was so great. Cause they were like, and cut, I look over and, uh, uh, Walt, the, the PA would be like no Paddington. And so like the whole casting crew was in on it. That's it was really, really cool. Um, but then we, I made the mistake of going, all right. Paddington and I blasted it out to all of my people. And so oh, now they're just doing nothing but, you know, for two days, their thumbs and pacing for two days. Mm-hmm. But then the other people were like, yo, whenever you're ready, we understand. That's we right. We're, we're concerned and we want you to know that we are hanging at our outer markers, but you just let us know when it's time and, and when you can surface. And we didn't see anybody that wasn't of a medical persuasion for four days that's right that's right and it just people came in and, and, and our dearest friends that had to wait and finally came through and, and were able to hold them they're pregnant right now mm. and it's just like we've been doing this whole process together but man i there's so much that a, a friend of mine met um leonard cohen a few years ago or now it's actually seven several years ago yeah and um leonard cohen says to him just in just the most plain way as if this was just common knowledge he said save every song every poem you've ever written because there's a lot of things that you have written now that your future self will explain to you Ooh, there's things you're writing that you can't understand and i'm experiencing that right now there's there's not only just in 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 life but just even in writing there's songs that i've written and there's things that i've done that i'm like Oh, now I get it. Now right. I understand why I wrote that lyric that was kind of existing out here, you know, and, and now it's this, it's a deep truth to me that's taken on new meaning. So yeah, it's a trip. It's a trip. It is, life is weird like that, man. It's like, it, it works in circles, but the circles don't necessarily trace each other. It's like a, it's like a DNA helix, you know? It's, yeah, it's exactly. Not, it's just constantly moving and it's, it's. 298 amino acids must line up in order to make you a human. <laughs> and the like if you took 298 pennies and that were all in, you know, uh arrange them by year from like, you know, 
whatever, yeah, 1980 yeah, yeah, yeah. all the way up. Sure. The chances of you just like throwing those up in the air and then them falling into chronological order are, 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 are pretty statistically slim. Math- no, the mathematically <laughs> impossible. Right. Carl Sagan was like, it's impossible. Yeah, exactly. For that to happen, there's 298 of your pennies that have lined up completely in chronological order to make you you. Mm. And I find beauty and, and deep truth in that. And so that's what allows me to kind of sit back and trust and go, okay, deep within the recesses of my being is the knowledge to be able to do this. Everything else is noise. That's right. And all I have to do is just be quiet, be still, listen, and don't doubt. Yes. I've told, I've told all my friends that are about to become parents, I'm like, man, just, I know you want to read the books, but just put them down. Sure. There's something supernatural about yeah. becoming a parent. And it's in you and you know how to do it yeah. from day one. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Oh. And man, you can, you can separate yourself from people very, very quickly when you start talking <laughs> about how you want a parent. Oh, yeah. And we had this one thing in our birthing class called the bubble of peace. And our instructor was like, hey, whenever you start talking about whatever it is, vaccinations or circumcision or whatever, it's mm-hmm. like, just remember you have a bubble of peace and your bubble of peace surrounds you at all times. And there may be some times where you just have to be inside your bubble of peace while That's people right. outside just try to attack. And so we would come home and Pam would be like, man, I had a bubble of, bubble of peace in people today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. With the quickness. Well, I a bubble of peace today right now. <laughs> so hopefully she doesn't bubble of peace me. Uh, oh, she will. <laughs> there, there, will come, there will come a day when, when that baby is, is testing the both of you at the same time. Yeah, man. And, and you're yeah. missing each other because the energy is all poured into that baby. But what's funny is for it, a minute. this is like the most, every, every, going back to your first question, it's like everything with a barcode is just for the parent's convenience. And this is what I've learned. Parenting is not about convenience. Mm-mm. It's, it's, it's about surrendering to the fact that it's the most inconvenient. What's happening right now, just personally in my life, is is insane it's stupid we um there's a lot of games that we've got you know some that we're still working on some that we're starting to wrap up that are that are going to come out mm-hmm. uh, production is is really high um and then in the midst of that i've decided to become you know more of an entrepreneur and branch out because i i don't just want to be that guy from that game sure you know, oh, I, yeah. I could i could live and die by that and I, I i would by the way if i stopped now i'd be grateful because i've been able to do more than what most people have and it's um i hate using this term because it's so overused and it's such a platitude but i'm blessed that i've had an opportunity to work in the projects and have the kind of roles and and the, the appreciation for the fans and and play games that i'm in that i'm proud of mm-hmm. you know that's that's a, a I, I like what I've done, and, and but I, I'd like to think that the, my best is before me, not just behind me. But we've started doing, um, started branching out because I, I want, I directed this uh, this game that came out called Shadow of War. Um, it was the Middle Earth. Uh, oh game yeah, would, I, I played Italian in in both games, but I played Italian, and then I, I, I stupidly I, I directed the second <laughs> one. You said it was and, quite the journey. Yeah, I learned a lot about my limitations. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know the you know, Italian is 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 such a laconic character. There's not much that he needs to do. He's just basically going to be like, "Why is this happening?" You know, and that's all I pretty much have to do. Yeah, I'm just you know, there's not these like deep pathetic moments. Yeah, he it's, had a lot of questions kind of, to that one. 
lot of questions mm-hmm. and other people had all the answers. Yes. Um, but being able to understand the, the, the structure of a scene and, and, you know, understanding how to shoot the cameras. A lot of people don't understand the way that games are made now. It's, it's shooting it like a film. Like mm-hmm. we would be on a soundstage. All of the actors are there. Um, the only problem is that they don't have the benefit of like what Peter Jackson did, which is these beautiful, amazing sets and incredible costumes and That's actual right. props. And when you're looking at an orc, it looks like an orc. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, you know, Gary, who's yeah. a stunt guy, yeah. and just you with know, dots a really on his face, big dude, with dots on his face and a camera <laughs> hanging off of it. Yeah, and we, you know, we we would build, um, we would have an amazing crew that would come in and, and be like, okay, so we need this to be like we're going to Minasethal, and and we need this to be like you know a, a huge staircase that's leading up to, um, this huge chamber that's going to have all of, um, Idril's treasures or whatever in it, and so they would build these steps that would go like six to eight feet and so <laughs> right. we would but the staircase is actually like 30 feet high mm-hmm. and so we'd have to go okay so walk up these okay cut go back to the bottom do it again and we have to get all these you know so it looks like they're climbing 30 feet of stairs we're actually only climbing six to eight feet of stairs and it's all of this movie magic that you get to do that looks so beautiful and seamless and it's all theater of the mind right so looking at these actors pollyanna mcintosh who played shelob uh, she's on Walking Dead and she's a brilliant actress. Mm. Um, and I had such a joy working with her. Uh, a lot of her scenes are, are very like, it's just a two shot with her and Italian. And getting to work with her in those scenes and like really kind of crunch that down was, was kind of a highlight. And she's one of those directors or she's one of those actors that every director loves to work with because she just, every take she gives you is gold. Um, wow. So we did the main game, and then we did the the two DLCs, which was the Blade of Galadriel DLC, and then uh, the other Baronor D- DLC that just came out. Um, that was really really awesome, and I, I was I was proud of 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 Monolith for doing this because there's a whole other side. Like as, as like Finn became the first person of color really in Star Wars, mm-hmm. Baronor was the first person of color within Middle Earth, like. That's right. Yeah. Tolkien never wrote anybody that was like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And so we we created this character that was, you know, sired by the Saul Zantz who's, you know, owns the whole Tolkien estate and I do got to give um, props to Billy D, you know, for being in Star Wars. But I see what you're saying with with, with Finn, it felt like true, true, true. To, I'm not, to by be the, way, I'm not the guy. I, Here's the thing that they did with Lando Calrissian is like, here's a black guy, and we're gonna make him the bad dude that you know backstabs his friend. <laughs> I know, I hated that. I was like, no, so you gotta be kidding. At, yeah, when I look at Finn, uh, I, I'm saying like the stormtroopers, stormtroopers exactly. are you know just yeah. faceless guys, and they're like now they're Aussies or New Zealanders for some reason because of what we did in the prequels, and then it's <laughs> exactly. like, hey. Now they're like these adopted children, and guess what? One of them's black. Yes. It was like, come on, that's awesome. <laughs> so thank you for the correction. But yes, no, not the correction. So, I was just because I know where you're going with that because because of who Phil. I remember when he popped up. I felt the exact same when he popped up in the in the trailer. The first one, you just see him kind of like <gasps> come up. Right. I was like, yes. <laughs> and people were like, wait, but Lando. And I was like, same. yeah, but that's gonna be different. That's gonna be different <laughs> than Lando. He made the same sound on screen that the audience did when they were looking at the screen when that moment happened. Exactly. It was just beauty, beauty by J.J. Abrams. It so was. Uh, but this this DLC, the, the one of the most beautiful things that they did, besides just and, and that's that that's not what the story's about either. It's it's about you know uh, it's about two brothers uh, and it's about family and it's about 
um, really just a search for identity. And, and E.K. Imadi uh, was a person that played Baranor. And he actually, when we're shooting, he's the star. So he goes from kind of like, not an ancillary character, but, you know. He's yeah, like, he's the side character in the, yeah, in the main story. Yeah, side character in, in the main story. Um, but in this, it's like, yo, it's, it's on you. And that's when they had their second kid. Like oh. literally, his wife goes into labor. Uh, he shows up the morning after they have their daughter yes uh to help us cast his co-star um and then like a week later he's on set shooting and i just i i i haven't found i haven't talked to him since i've had my kid i I, i've texted him but i want to see him and go dude i the hell that I put you through on, on stage <laughs> asking you to remember all of these lines and giving you direction and everything. Yeah. You're literally going, you're having to tell yourself and heart beats and I breathe. <laughs> right. Um, the amount of coffee that he did. So he pulled through and he did an amazing job on that. Usman Ali, um, uh, who I got to work with on uncharted, uh, the DLC for uncharted and mm-hmm. he's hilarious. He's on veep. Um, it's he and and Ek Mahdi that that's in the uh, Baronor DLC, which Shadow of War really got a bad rap because of the whole you know loot crate and 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 uh, it got tied into that man. It wasn't even we talked about no, it on the show. We were like, gosh, it, it just it just happened to have it at the same time that some real bad yeah. loot crate stuff was going on on other yeah. games, and it, it just yeah, I I feel you. Uh, it was sucks unfortunate. because there's a lot of people like you know there's there's 300 people that that worked really really hard to make that game and it, it was a very expensive game mm-hmm. and even that DLC I feel like is not going to get its due because it's it's kind of like what Uncharted Lost Legacy did where how do you have this franchise with existing characters um, and then you flip the script and you make it not with those existing characters you 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 put two new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in there, will people go on that journey with it? And Lost Legacy is amazing. And Baronor Desolation of Smaug, no, Desolation of Smaug, um, Desolation of Mordor, is that what it's called? Nah, we, I'm not we sure. We always work under... Um, <laughs> Different names, up. right? Yeah, exactly. New DLC out. for Shadow of War, there it is. Uh, Demolition of Smog, whatever it's called. Um, you know, is the same thing. It's like, there's no Talion. Um, and it's, it's all his, it's all Baronor's story. Mm-hmm. And so, and so there's not this rate. It's not, it's, it's way more grounded. It's, it's a fun ride, man. Um, I hope people play it. I really do just because it's really, really good. I've got no stake in the company. It's not like if anybody buys more, sure. look, if you already bought the season passes, you've already got it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. but it's, I'm not trying to boost this. I'm not here plugging the game. I just, it's, it's a really, really good game. Well, I, um, I wanted to ask you about that too because I know that you were directing and acting, and we had talked about the struggle of playing Talion and directing Talion. Yeah. Um. So, did you feel? Did you get to have a lot more fun with just the directing? Yeah, dude. Way, way, way more. Mm-hmm. Um. It felt because mo- you know when if I'm on set, I'm also in a mocap suit. That's right. And the it, whole it time, just become, the whole time, and so yeah, it became you get to change into director clothes. Thing. To be able to just be like hat backwards, you know, and I'm I'm not a guy that sits in a chair. Um, sure. I remember one of the first movies that I did, um, the cleanest chair on set was the director's because he never sat in it. Right. right. And I, I realized why is because a director, uh, a director is not about control. It's about surrender. And mm. it's about leading people and, and getting people to 
you know, Orson Welles was was brilliant because he could write, direct, act, produce, edit everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to me good leadership. Good leadership is someone who says this is my vision and gets that person to capture his vision, my instead vision, of just mi- vision. mimicking what you step out to do and show yeah, them. Yeah, mm-hmm. with the same amount of passion and then is able to direct their level of skill and talent in into making it feel like they're not making your movie, they're making their movie. Mm. Um, and and that's that's what the the goal to me is, is, is look, this is not my game. Um, I want this to be your game, but if we can line up, then we can make our game. That's right. And and that that's really what I what I go for. But having the freedom of not having to worry about a memorizing lines and and hitting my marks and just focusing on, you know, blocking and and camera blocking and and really digging into, um, I I, I uh, what's his name? Um, Robert McKee says. Uh, if there is no subtext, then you need to rewrite your scene. Hmm. Because if it's if what they're talking about is what they're talking about, then you need to rewrite your too scene. Too shallow. Mm-hmm. Everything should be about subtext. And so even when we were doing you know mission dialogue about well we should go over here and get this thing, it has to be about something else. Hmm. Um, otherwise, then why are we doing? I don't. As a gamer, I I don't want to be taken off the stick to be told what to do. Sure. Um, just let me play the game. Let me figure it out. And it, this is what's funny, man, is is my buddy Nolan North and I have, have started doing this little um, YouTube thing because, yeah, we have all this free time. <laughs> yeah, um, Anytime I see you guys together, I'm like, okay, number one, they look like they're having a really good time. But number two, they have to be squeezing this in someplace. Barely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the reason why is because we we sat down. Um, uh, I got one of those uh, retro pie like a uh, like NES classic. Sure. Um, and I mean, there was a game that I started 28 years ago, mm-hmm. um, and called Chrysalis, and it yes. was like it came out 1991, I think, um, or 1990. And I, for my birthday, I was able to get. Then I was able to rent a Nintendo and one game and I had it for 24 hours and I got as far as I could in that game and it sat sure for almost three decades unfinished. (laughs) And so I just finished it like two months ago. Doesn't that feel amazing? Dude. I mean, when I saw that, that, that last screen, I was like, I I I did did it. it. Yeah. The kid in you comes out. It was a, the entire time, and I would walk in, and Pam would look at me. I was like, "So I finally got the sword of wind." <laughs> yeah. and, um, I still need to get the bracelet. I understand that, but but today was a really good day. Yeah, and it was just, it was this great daunting task, you know. And and I've got this whole backlog of games. Like I really, really, really want to play God of War. I will not devolve and go down to Fortnite just because. Yeah, I know. You'll I, ne- I have a child now, and like CPS will take it away from me. And if listen, I start playing Fortnite. listen to me. Now that you have a son, you have to play God of War. I have, boy, it, I have to play God of War. It brought up so much stuff in me from having sons. I was like, okay. And there was, and I know it can sound silly because it's video games, but like to oh, me, no, no. because I love video games, it's more storytelling than it is, it, you know, just mere entertainment. But like there was so much stuff I pulled out of it for my own life that I was like, ooh, I want to do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. Ooh, I do want to do that. You know what I'm saying? It was the weirdest thing. It's a great game. We were on set right when the game came out, you know, and and um, 
they loaded it up and we start playing through and I saw that one moment where I'm like, dang, dude, they're going to have an entire scene with no dialogue. Yes. Well done. Yes. Corey, Corey is an amazing director. Um, and I, I really applaud him and that team because it, it, that, that, that game could have gone a completely different way. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. Um, and the fact that they brought that franchise back from the dead mm-hmm. and gave it such new life and didn't just make this great story, but I mean, made a great game. It felt like God of War again. It was hard. Yes. And it was so rewarding. Um, it, it, it instantly was like, stop, turn it off. Cause I want to see him look, <laughs> I want to play this. Exactly. Um, but, <laughs> but going back to the, to the retro games, I, I, I started playing these retro games and then I, no one has just never played games before. And so, um, he and I sat down one night and just started playing and we realized we, we've gotten away as, as game makers, we've gotten away from this one. Here's the reason. Nobody was selling millions of copies of anything. Of games. Yeah. There, mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know, $200 million games. There, That's right. There weren't, there weren't 10 million or $3 million games. And there weren't big franchises that had to continue to sell because you have an office in Santa Monica with 300 employees. That's right. Yeah. Um, and there's not Metacritic and there's not all of this stuff. It was just make a game that you find to be challenging and see if somebody else does the same. Mm-hmm. And the the beautiful simplicity that comes out of that and just last year we kind of saw a little bit of a trend where like games like Inside and yes, um, so good. Her Story mm-hmm. were like, no tutorial, figure it out. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's this right. This is the game that you're playing. Go. And mm-hmm. I applaud those people that 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 do that as opposed to and there's some games where you're like, there's a lot of mechanics we gotta teach you. Um of course. Yeah. But I don't necessarily want to be told all the time, you know, you, use the stick to look around. Like, really? <laughs> I can figure that out for myself. Yeah, yeah I, I think I do that coming into this game. Yeah, let me get frustrated. Like we're so scared, and and I think the reason why we have those tutorializations is because there is a lot of money on the line, and there is a lot of people that are employed by this, and everybody just wants to make sure that people are happy and that you like it, mm-hmm. and right Neil away, and right away, right away. Neil, Neil Druckmann was one of the first people that I've heard um, with games go. I don't care if people like my game. Ooh, I don't care. Really? He, 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 when we start talking about the ending, when he first laid out the ending to us, and so much, not so much, I don't want people to take that wrong. There's a lot of things about the story that changed, um, and it evolved. It got better. Like, sure. Where are the original story that we heard, so many of the elements were still there, but just characters move around and were repurposed and things kind of streamlined a little bit. Um, because as we were doing it, Neil was like, there's a better way to tell this story. Mm. And when he finally told us, here's the end. And Ashley and I look at each other like, dude, are you sure you want to do that? He goes, I don't care if people <laughs> like it. Ooh. I just don't want them to not care about it. Ooh, and yes. That's the that's right it. reasons. He said that if he didn't tremble to press send on the email with the scenes, then he went back through and redid it because... It wasn't good enough. God. He had he had to be like, oh my god, I don't know if I can send these scenes out. <laughs> right. Every time there was one scene where we'd be like, "Yo, bro, are you sure?" <laughs> <laughs> I 
yeah. You want to do this? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the ones that I remember is when we're sitting there doing the table read, and uh, W.O. Brown is sitting there at the table, and, and we go through the scenes, and he goes, anybody have any questions? And Earl goes, yeah, I got one. When it talks about Bill as my partner. Hmm. And Neil goes, yes. He goes, what does that mean? And Neil says the famous, what do you think? Huh. And he goes, I like to think that when he's as a partner in this kind of world, the social mores of being gay and straight are really gone. And it's about finding someone that you have a connection with and that this was his partner. Like this, this was, this was his love. Mm-hmm. So Neil let Earl decide in the room whether or not Bill was going to be gay. That is really interesting. Dude. That's great though. Because you want yeah. the human aspect, right? Like yeah, you were saying and, earlier, and you don't want it written for you. You want it to, the subtext. Well, to me, it just cast, it, it, was, it was foreshadowing of what kind of game he wanted to make. Just as, uh, as he wanted Earl to have agency in his character, mm-hmm. he wanted the player to have agency in the story mm-hmm. and the experience as well and to really feel the first time when it turns from, you know, when you go into winter and you, you see Ellie there and there, there's the, right. the arrow that hits the bunny, you know, and, and you, when you move that stick and it's now Ellie that's moving. Yes. That's why people are like, oh no, I didn't play the game, but I, I, you know, watched a let's play on YouTube. I'm like, you don't understand. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. It, it's yeah. It's just different when the, when you are controlling that girl, it mm-hmm. all changes. It all changes. Yes. What, what for you in directing Shadow of War and, and, and moving forward, what about directing? You know, you're talking about all these great directors. What about that do you think is going to change your acting? Oh man. Um, so much. Yeah. Number one, it's, it's understanding that really actors are the last part. Uh, actors are the very, very last thing to be thrown in. And, and, and while there's, they're the mouthpiece for the scenes and for the writers and, and the contribution that they give to a scene is, is it's unparalleled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so unimportant. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. Yeah. You had a great quote from Alfred Hitchcock that kind of said the same thing. Actors are props that eat. That's right. That's yeah. right. I loved that. When you said that in December, I was like, that make, I mean, from a, from a storyteller and a director standpoint, yeah. from a script writer standpoint, like I was like, I can really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, he also and he was notoriously a lecherous and cruel director, especially to his actors. But he, he also had this wonderful thing that I love. He says, when all else fails, use dialogue. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, because what he was painting was the space. That's mm. really what Hitchcock was going after. He was creating a world that, what does it look like when the world gets taken over by birds? What does it look like mm-hmm. when a man slowly goes kind of insane because he's cooped up and in- incapacitated and starts spying on his neighbors? What does it look like? You know, it's 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 all these postulates that he... You know, it's it's never about Jimmy Stewart. It's about the man that he's representing. It's about the human that he's representing. Right. So it's not about Norman Bates. It's about a guy that had this relationship and he wants, he, he even said this best, the best villain is the one that you can relate to. So you have to fall in love with Norman before you can be afraid of him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's when there was this, there was a game that I did once where 
uh, one of the actors came in and she wanted to click a pen as like a, a character choice, whatever. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I, I, sorry, I need someone to, to make me something that, that can work for this. Cause I, I feel like my character would do this. Hmm. And the director was like, um, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's see if we can do And you look around at everybody else going, no, because there's no way we can animate that. And even if we try to be so horribly expensive <laughs> two, it's bad for sound. Yes. It's just going to be dirty the entire time. And three, it's a terrible choice. That's your choice that you click a pen and you could tell that she had built her entire character around this clicking pen. Mm. And David Milch, uh, creator of Deadwood and, and uh, many, many, many other things, but um, talks about the currency so much about it's never about if it becomes about a clicking pen, you've, 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 you know, it's, it's, uh, he has a scene in Deadwood where they have can of peaches and it's like, it's never about the can of peaches, it's about what the can of peaches represents. And that's that right. goes to the very heart of his story. It's never about gold. It's about what the gold represents. And that's the whole premise of the show. And for me, that's about whether it's a game, it's a TV show, it's a book, it's a movie. It's all about what is the idea that you're trying to come put it put across and can you make that accessible and digestible to your audience rod serling did a talk in the 60s with ucla writing students and one of the guys you know um you can kind of tell he was proud of knowing this this fact he said <laughs> well it's like fellini fellini says that he never considers the audience in his writing <laughs> and and you see serling look at him and he goes is that a quote he goes, <laughs> Yes, that's a, that's a quote from Fellini. He goes, well, then I, my friend, would disagree with Fellini <laughs> because I believe the audience is a part of your writing. Yes, there you go. You're, you're, you're writing for them. Otherwise, why are we creating art? Yes. Toby says that all the time. He says, like, I make music to serve. I don't yes. make music for myself. You know, it's a, serv and, it's a service to, to the people around him, you know. And your art can't serve you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Too many people want, is this good? That's when it gets like bad. It? That's when it gets bad. That's when it gets bad. Yes. One of my favorite Absolutely. examples of, of art. Um, I didn't care about this at all until I was face to face with it. And we were in Florence for our honeymoon and Pam really wanted to show me the David. I'm like, I, I don't care about seeing the Eiffel Tower. I don't care mm. about seeing Big Ben. I don't need to see the David. Mm -hmm. It's this, it's just a trope, you know, at this sure. point. You're like, I've seen it, kind of. And then you walk into the museum and it's at the end of this very long, narrow hall and it's just lit so simply and it, it's, it's breathtaking. It, it is, it is, just just seeing the work of art, the sculpture itself is is a work of art, and, and the way that you have to experience it is by walking around it. Because as you walk around it, you see different aspects of it. Sure. And the question becomes, is it the moment before or is it the moment after he slayed the giant? Mm. And everybody has a difference. Like, it's absolutely before. He's stealing himself for battle. And for me, it's afterwards and the recognition of the weight of the moment. He knew that at that moment, everything changed and everything would be different. And there was this remorse to actually slaying the giant. But that's a whole other thing. But the, the beauty of the David to me is that 
it's it's just down the street from the Duomo, which before there was the Vatican, there was the Duomo. And, you know, Florence was the Medici's and, and Michelangelo. And, mm-hmm. and Michelangelo would pass by the Duomo every day to his shop. And in like the backyard of the Duomo was this large chunk of marble that had been rejected for the floor. And it just sat out there and he he would go and say, can I please have this chunk of marble? And they're like, no, no, it's, it's <laughs> no. So for like six months, every day he petitioned, please give me this marble. And they finally like, Michelangelo, what are you going to do with this thing? Yeah, yeah. And for the next two and a half years, he carved the David. And <laughs> out of a rejected piece of marble. Yes, yes. So, but he did that, again, it's that cathedral mentality. He did that because he saw potential in that marble and he had to get it out. But the David doesn't serve him. He doesn't look at that and go, yes, I have done it. I have given the world a shining example of a human figure study in marble. Um, He did it because he saw the potential in, in the marble and that's why he carved the David. But we, as artists, we are compelled to to create and to share and if if we do so in in silence then we don't serve our art that's right Um, we're we're serving ourselves for sure and that doesn't matter what what your form of art is um whenever someone if i go to a convention or whatever and someone says here i i made this made this art i'm like please continue to do this and please continue to share it Mm -hmm. because you it's it's such a waste for you, for people to, I've seen sketchbooks filled like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to show this to anybody else. Like you have to, someone's going to connect with that. That's right. And it's going to become their favorite thing that they've ever seen before. Ooh. Don't, don't hide your art from the world. Yeah. Uh, the world needs your art. It needs your voice. The last thing the world needs is more of my voice. They need your voice and your voice and your voice because mm. That's the beautiful cacophony of of humanity. Yeah, but speaking of getting your art out, man, you've been yes. doing music for a long time. Yeah, dude. And, and I think that's something that you know, as just maybe a, a casual gamer or somebody who you know has played a lot of games, like something they might not know of you. And you know, the voiceover thing. What's hard about it is, um, it's so passive. Yeah, and so you don't always understand the hard work that's gone into it or the people right. behind the scenes. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like sure. scores in a movie. Like yeah. it, you take the score out and you know it's missing, but you keep it in there and it just passes you by sometimes. You know, you, you don't get to appreciate it always. Um, and so you, when I was talking to you in December, you talked about you doing music first. That became before all this VO stuff and kind of yeah. stumbled into the VO. Can you yeah. talk about your music and what you got going on now and... Where people kind of, I know you did kind of a fundraising thing for it. Last was it last year that you yeah, kind of had it out there? Last year, I man, crowdsourcing. Good God, poof, it's <laughs> yeah. hard. Man. It is, but and praise God for it, right? Well, dude, yeah, yeah you have to go I find understand. a label and and talk them into it, and then yeah, them give you this money that you got to pay back. It's the joy of childbirth, you know. <laughs> it's it's everything that comes with it. Yes, I I was. Uh, Man, it, it taught me so much. It, it um, people uh, were incredibly kind. They've been incredibly impatient while we've we finished this project that is a labor of love for everybody that was in it. And we did this pledge music campaign, and people really, when they supported us, they supported us hard. Mm-hmm. And it it was um, it was incredibly humbling, um, and I was honored to 
to be able to um, do that not only for myself, but but also with with my some of my dearest friends and, and the most talented people that I could ever possibly work with. Um, and Wayne Miller, who's our producer and is over the course of several years become a very very dear friend of mine was was he was our captain at the helm and uh, there were several people who independently referred us to the studio um i think i even told toby about it uh it's so rad it's up in um northern california stinson beach and it's this off the grid kind of place like you you can't just like look it up online yet to be referred to it mm. and it's beautiful you're on top of mount tamalpais and you walk out on the deck and you look out over the pacific ocean to your left and the mirror woods to your right mm. and you make music and we were up there for 10 days and there wasn't a sunset that we didn't all take in together and, and we ate our meals together and we slept there and um and over the course of 10 days we we tracked a record tell me how to get And the whole point of us doing that is is realizing that we're all storytellers, and that's what we've been doing ever since we were walking up rides. We've been drawing on cave walls and trying to tell people about the woolly mammoth that we killed or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And we are we are a species of storytellers. And again, it's like making art. Um, this might telling my stories um, I chose to do with these people in this way and and there's some very very deeply personal uh, moments that we share that um, on this record that uh, I, I've, I've been talking about this record with other people I said at one point every one of us have picked up a pen and we've added to the text yeah man. and all, all of us have been telling the story but um, it's, it's been confusing because, uh, I didn't want it to be a vanity project. I didn't want it to be another Troy Baker record. Cause I, I did that with my previous record sitting in the fire and I was like, okay, I want this to be more about, it's a, it's a project. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, it's a bunch of people getting together cause it's not just me. And, and so we called it window to the Abbey, um, which was, it's a film term. So you have your, uh, your martini, which is your last shot. You have your Abbey, which is your, you know, penultimate, uh, and then the anti-penultimate uh, is the window to the Abbey. Um, so it's a kind of a stupid play on words, um, but it was a, a, a track of the record that we did at Sitting on the Fire that was an impromptu jam. And I just sat down at this uh, keyboard and I just hit three notes, went dun, dun, dun. And the bass player, Wayne, picks up and starts playing bass and the guitarist starts you know, vibing on it. And before you know it, we had this like four and a half minute jam. Yes. And I was like, this is what I want this album to be about is when I introduce an idea where these talented musicians can take it. And so John Titterington, our, our keyboardist was like, well, I just thought we'd call it Project Window to the Abbey. I'm like, whoop, there it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And and then as we were trying to come up with names for the albums, because I hate name, I hate naming bands and I hate naming albums. It's the um, worst. It's the worst. It's because you're like, I don't know. Well, and no idea is good until it's popular. Well, this is, I, I'll never forget. We were trying to come up with the name of the band. And I was like, and I think about this, Radiohead. I know, all of I them. I could have thought, Audio Slave. Like, yes, come <laughs> on, man. It's so simple. <laughs> I know. Um, you too. You too. Mm -hmm. That's easy. Mm -hmm. um, so we're sitting there thinking about uh, names for the album. And um, I was talking to a, an engineer friend of mine. And I was like, I, need, I want some 
what are some tape terms, you know, because we really went analog on this record. And he said, well, you know, you've got this. And I was like, yeah, and you got this. And he goes, you know, moving around bias. I went, whoa, 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 what's that? He goes, oh, you know, you just, just engineers, right, we're moving around bias. We're just, we're rolling the tape out. And mm. that's, that's recording is moving around bias. And especially when we were doing this record, I was like, wow, what a very appropriate term um, that we need to move around some bias that we have. And I, I, I heard this, um, Sean Hannity um, was interviewing Ted Koppel or Ted Koppel was interviewing Sean Hannity. I don't know how it works, but <laughs> right. um, Sean Hannity asked a question of Ted Koppel. He says, do you think I'm bad for this country? And Ted Koppel says, yes, I do. Um, and you see the two difference, you know, it's, it's like old school and new school. Ted Koppel is stoic and he's, he's right. quiet and he's reserved mm -hmm. and, and Sean Hannity is what we have right now, which is, you know, just kind of a very animated, loud and boisterous, uh, mm -hmm. loud, boisterous pundit. And he says, you think I'm bad. You really think I'm bad for the country? He goes, yes, I do. And I'll tell you why, because you, you, um, breed a community that would rather have, uh, an ideology than to ask questions. And that. I'm like, that was not long ago. No, it was just a few weeks ago. I was like, that's exactly what we have right now is that, you know, Twitter is set up in such a way, Instagram is set up in such a way that they know what I like. Mm -hmm. And so they will only show me what I like and, and <laughs> Twitter will never make me angry. <laughs> yeah. um, and even when it does, it'll only show me, like, even if I looked at comments uh, from other people, it's going to filter based on what it believes I believe. Mm. And, and so we, we're, we're so insular within our own belief system that we're afraid to question our beliefs because they're so paper thin. Mm -hmm. And we know that the second that it meets any kind of adversity, it'll crumble because we're just so scared. And I, I was reading this quote by Dostoevsky where he it was a notoriously just a cruel human being and 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 self-professed christian but not a not a good one by, <laughs> sure. by all accounts but he <laughs> he said he said that if somebody proved to me that christ existed outside of the truth and that in reality the truth existed outside of the christ i would remain with the christ hmm and that to me is problematic um I heard someone else say that it's not about we we should um, look for people who are seeking truth, not the ones who claim to have found it. And I, I I believe that because I believe that this is a process and it's a journey of of constantly seeking out truth. Because the second that we hold on to something that we believe to be true, then we stop seeking truth. We abandon the journey and the and, and the the search for truth. Hmm. And which I don't believe truth is evading us, but I believe that truth is something to be pursued. Sure. And that's what Twitter and, and Instagram and everything does is that it removes that need to search. Mm. We'll bring it to you and we'll tell you what you believe and we'll support what you believe. That's right. And so we, we decided to call the album moving around bias just because I want people to I want them to challenge their own beliefs. You know, I want them to challenge and, and, and have a conversation because typically if you're talking to someone who should, who is challenging your beliefs, that's someone who is in some way disparate from you. And whether it be geographically, politically, spiritually, um, 
And that kind of goes back to why I call my son Traveler. It's not just about getting on a plane and going somewhere, but I want you to travel outside yes. of your own bias, outside of your own beliefs. I totally, I totally agree with you. It's funny because, you know, as a Christian, there's, you know, there's definitely things I was brought up to believe and I'm big into apologetics and somebody was asking me, you know, what are some of the things I study um, when I go on YouTube and I say, I always search for videos that say, why was Jesus not the Messiah? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it, it definitely, I feel like there has to be a rub there for yeah, me, dude. for me at least. I don't want to put that on everybody, but like for no. me, there's got to be that rub of like, all right, these people are saying, this is what I've grown up believing. And then when I've done my own research, this is what I've found. And then what are they saying? Cause I, I, I need to know all the different things. Cause I need to know that I believe what I believe, not just because my mom said, believe it. You don't sharpen a knife with cotton. Nah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sure. You need that wedding stone. I mean, look, C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest apologists of our time, yeah, um, is is someone that was constantly breaking down and distilling um, common beliefs and even his own beliefs mm-hmm. um, in order to challenge them, to make them, to really, what is it that I really, really, really believe? That's right. Um, That's right. And I, I believe that that comes to, again, it's, it's like, I just want truth. Mm-hmm. I just want truth. And if that means that my, there's a great book called Farewell to Mars um, that, that really talks about nationalism and, and how the whole root of how we got at this thing that, you know, God is a Cowboys fan and, <laughs> you know, um, but we take that to a political place and that, you know, God is for this country. And it's like, well, you, you go, you know, one mile up and there's no lines, you know, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. it's just like you, I, I spent a lot of time in the air and I love that. I have no idea when I'm flying over, you know, there's no demarcation from one state to the next. That's right. Um, and I've always, I've always loved that perspective that flying gives where it's like, this is just a ball. It's not flat. spinning spinning hurtling through space yeah um, yeah seemingly on on a you know a wild course but it's something that's actually been um preordained to to, to go where it is so um, that's awesome man wow what a what a crazy orbit speaking of like hurtling through space we've covered a lot of ground in this thing man. <laughs> i love it i love we've it Covered a lot of ground i know i do want to ask you like two questions yeah. and sure. they could be short answers long answers but um you alluded to it actually a little bit earlier and if you don't want to get into it that's fine but if you yeah. if you weren't doing vo and you weren't doing yeah. music it's just something i like to ask people what do you think you'd be doing um I mean, directing or writing and directing would be something that I, I would absolutely throw all my weight into. But if I couldn't be working in either one of these um, fields, uh, I, I I don't consider myself like an overly intelligent or academic person. However, I do romantically love the position of a teacher. Um, yeah, yes. I, I love, I love seeing i love sharing something that i'm excited about and that that i think is is cool or worthy of of knowing and trying to get other people to um feel the same way about it and and when i do find that one person that's like that i've never known that before and i i want to know more about these things 
um, that's a cool connection. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that is the whole point of of teaching, you know, whether it be calculus or history or science or whatever. I loved having those teachers that were like, this is the coolest thing ever. And weren't those teachers different? Amazing. You you yeah, always dude. could tell when yeah. they were like just cashing a check or loved what they were talking about in or the first place. Or had to teach this class because they were a football coach. Exactly. And they didn't, they, they learned this 30 seconds before you did, <laughs> you know? Um, but then you had these other teachers that were like, this is the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would be wrapped with attention. I, I will always follow passion. Yes. Uh, and, and sometimes to a fault. But yeah, I mean, if, if I couldn't, if I couldn't be an actor, if I couldn't be a musician, if that, that just for some reason, and by the way, especially having a family, uh, the second that this no longer is able to be monetized, you know, I, I would love to do this. If I can't do this, I'll find, you know, I would go crazy. So I'd find a way to do this. But if I couldn't make my, my earn my living doing this, then, then I would, um, in a heartbeat, I would, I would go do something else. I'll, I'll go, you know. I'll be a barista. I'll I'll do whatever it takes to be an Uber driver just yeah. to uh, keep it take going. care of my family, to keep yeah. it going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would always be scheming about how I could get back into this. Yeah, no, that's right. That's awesome. Okay, last question, just real quick. Sure. Um, you've played a million characters. Um, sometimes we get to see your face. Sometimes we don't. I feel like there was a Call of Duty where it was pretty much just you it felt like i was just looking at troy baker and then i feel like on infamous second son it looks a lot like you um yeah but is there a character that you attached to more like this is the man i want to be or this is the kind of mm. person i am or you know what i'm saying somewhere that you had a, a deeper level because you've been batman and you've been the joker and you've been two-faced sure. and you've you know been robin and you know so you've you've played both you've played the good and the bad was there a guy that you were like this guy's Troy a little bit. Man, I think that the goal is for that to always be, for me to leave um, as much of an indelible mark on the character as the character's left on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you're given a character like, you know, Batman or the Joker, and it's like, here are the rails. Yes. Um, now we're going to be a speed train and let's see how far to the left and the right we can lean. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, don't go off the rails. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then there's other words where like, yeah, there's no railroad built. You know, this, this is, this is, we're going to go by horseback, um, through, un, you know, terra incognita and there's, there'd be Indians in this land, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and so like characters like Joel, there's so much about Joel that I wish, um, I, I was, I, I want to be, I want to be that kind of father, um, mm-hmm. that, the depth of his love is is so vast it's crippling in the absence of it mm-hmm. and um i'm not there yet you know I, sarah was you know sarah was was a young adult like she was she was 12 i, I think in the story and and i can't imagine like every day Every day that like there were those two days when when traveler was like it's it's kind of touchy what's going to happen and every every second that ticked by, we grew closer and more attached to him. Mm-hmm. And um, even even when you know Pam was just pregnant, the first three months, I'm like, okay, well, if something happens, then we can start over. And then after we get there, I'm like, 
he's there's a life this is it and then the first time we we did a sonogram um his first heartbeat was 163 Mm. and the second that i saw him and heard him and, and to me we loved getting the sonograms because that heartbeat was like his hello to mm-hmm. us it was our connection mm-hmm. and i i don't know how i don't know how i could i, I could be without him now and and, and every second that goes that goes by but you will yeah, not I, remember life without your children no i don't remember my, who gabe was before i had kids <laughs> and my sister says that you know uh she said really cool it's that your life begins now and it doesn't in any way diminish the life that you had before, but you just don't, all you, all you know about yourself is this. I'm like, that's, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, as far as the characters that I've played, yeah. Uh, I mean, when I, when I played Delson in Infamous, that was so, there was so much of me that was, especially at that time <laughs> yeah. in my life, you know, cause Travis Willingham has, has always been, uh, a very fraternal, um, relationship and, and he's always been a, um, a, a brother and especially a big brother even though he's younger than me mm-hmm. um but in the same way you know sam and uncharted was was the same thing because that's the relationship that i have with nolan is is you're just breaking balls the entire time you know with each <laughs> yeah. other so i think the goal is and, and nolan says this really well he goes don't try to be you know don't try to play a cop i'm playing myself as a cop you know mm. just 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 be you Interesting. And where that comes from is really bringing yourself to a place where you go i am enough mm-hmm. and when you can accept that going back to the truth when you can accept that as a reality and as a truth then your work and your art becomes more pure and it'll become more simple i i play drums kind of mm-hmm. and my first drum kit was this 12 piece double bass seven cymbals crazy <laughs> drum kit of Look, course like, it's gotta be maple it was awesome <laughs> yeah. and i was terrible <laughs> of course until i stripped it down to kick snare tom that's where it is baby and a hi-hat mm-hmm. and i learned rudiments and i actually became a better drummer because I understood that I didn't need all of that. I just needed the fundamentals in order to lay a beat for somebody else. That's right. That's right. And that's, that's, um, I think that's, that's what I I try to do with a character is, is I understand that I am enough and I trust more than I, than I ever have. I trust the writing. I trust my director and I, I, Richard Burton had a great phrase. Um, Someone said, Sir Richard, how do you do the acting so well? And he goes, it's incredibly easy. I will give you everything. Mm. But if you give me nothing, I will take it from you. <laughs> nice. And I, I think that that's what that's it's so about. Great. It's, it's being generous, but understanding at the end of the day, there's a scene we got to make. And one of us has got to make it if we're not going to do it together. So that's, I guess that's my approach. I love it. Troy, thank you so much, man. My pleasure, brother. My pleasure anytime. So this is how it ends. Not with a whisper, but a bang. Slamming doors and broken picture frames. Puffed up pride and called out names. A ransom gold. 
Pedal your wares on down the road Your manufacture love will 